welcome to C3 Church Queens Beach Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. Today, we pray as you hear from our special guest that you'll be inspired to live your best life. Thank you. Hello, QB. I love coming here and I love that Ethan said I'm a friend of yours because I would hope that that's the case. And uh, it is an honour and a privilege to come and to speak here and I thank Pastor Nicole and Pastor Steve for that because it is awesome to be here today. I am actually really, really excited. Not just really, really, really excited today. Yes, I know. I think it's the spring weather. Uh, it's really easy in this beautiful weather to go out for a, a prayer walk. And I was doing that the other day. I was praying for you guys. I was looking and taking photographs of. If any of you follow me on social media, you might have seen my abundant floral posts recently. So I was thinking about flowers and spring and, and, and blooming and blossoming and growing and fruitfulness. And I was praying for you guys. And uh, what God showed me was a picture of tomato plants. Now, I am not a green thumb by any stretch. I actually had to Google this to make sure I had this right, that, that God was right, that he knew how to grow tomato plants. <laughs> so the picture I had was of a season for you guys of staking out that tomato plants, they get to a point where they have grown, they're no longer seedlings, they're strong enough to bear fruit, but their branches need to just be stretched out a little bit staked out in readiness, ready to hold the fruit that's going to come. And so that's where I feel you guys are at. It's, it's a moment of growth, a moment of stretching, and it's in readiness to bear fruit. And then I kept walking and I kept praying. And then collectively as a church, God had a real stake theme going on. The picture I saw was surveyor's pegs being banged into a ground with a mallet. And I think that speaks of you guys getting a building, having your own land, and that God is readying it for you. Come on, yes. So I am really, truly excited for what Quinn's speech is going to be. I'm excited for what you guys are. And I know that God has a message of growth for us today. Are you ready? All right, so we are going to bounce this message out of the word of the Lord, best place to do that, right? We're going to read from the book of Jonah in the Old Testament. I have a little personal disclaimer here. I actually have a son called Jonah. He is not named after the biblical Jonah. I liked the name from Sleepless in Seattle. I know that's really corny, <laughs> but that's where it came from. Uh, so, and thankfully for us in our house, our Jonah is nowhere near as stubborn or as uh, hard-hearted as this dude is. Um, he is a way more inclusive and soft-hearted person, so that's good for us. All right, if you have your Bible with you, let's turn to Jonah and we're going to read together. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But, buts are always either good or bad in the Bible. <laughs> but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, fair enough too. And each one cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, "'How can you sleep?' 
get up and call out to your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come on, we've got to do something. Let's cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast the lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? Where is your country? From what people are you? You can just imagine they're ganging up on him here, right? Come on, you're to blame. We've got to get to the bottom of this. He answered... I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Good answer. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, these guys were nice, I didn't want to kill him. The men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. They cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows to him. Now the Lord provided, I love that word, a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. Anyone felt like that this week? A couple of you said you had a bad moment. Laura mentioned that. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. He couldn't even see. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit when my life was ebbing away. I remembered you and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. And I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. There's an image for you. <laughs> Sounds pretty gooey, doesn't it? Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Don't we love that our God is the God of the second chance? When we mess up the first time, he doesn't go, ba ba, that's it, you're out. He goes, go again. So go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Well done. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through. Jonah began a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. And sackcloth was an outward expression of a repentant heart. So this whole city, thousands of people, put on sackcloth. 
When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself in sackcloth and sat down in the dust. And this is the proclamation that he issued in Nineveh. By decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent with compassion, turn from his fierce anger, so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. Okay, God's been kind. Jonah's cranky. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. He's telling God off. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Are these bad things? Uh, Where was I up to? I've lost where he was angry. Okay, now Lord, take away my life. I love this bit. Now Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Who knows that sometimes God just asks us little questions, gives us a little nudge. Is that right for you to be doing this? Is that right for you to be thinking like that? Just a little question. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. Now, I totally imagine he stomped. (laughs) He's not happy. He goes out. He goes and hangs outside the city. He makes himself a shelter. He sits in its shade and he waits to see what's going to happen to the city. Is God going to smite it or not? He's pretty grumpy. Uh, Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah, no, yeah, Jonah, to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head. So that wind must have been strong enough to knock down his shelter. He was obviously no architect. So God provided this east wind. The sun blazed on Jonah's head, so he grew faint. He wanted to die, and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. (laughs) But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. (laughs) Anyone felt like that? I don't know. (laughs) But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. I'm not sure about the education of the Ninevites. (laughs) So Jonah has a really adventurous time, doesn't he? He's a moody fellow. He's an interesting bloke. I actually find him really human. I quite like him. (laughs) And I think there's some things we can learn from Jonah. And the first one is it is better to run to God and from sin, right? Okay. So the Bible's pretty clear on that. James 4, 7 and 8 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he'll come near to you. 
Paul encourages the Corinthians to flee from a few specific sins and he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy and encourages him to flee youthful passions. So we are really encouraged to run away from sin. Jonah does the complete opposite. Jonah's a man of God. He's a prophet. He hears from the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. He has a clear call and a clear mission. So this isn't someone who's lost. This isn't somebody confused. This is someone who knows and hears from God and yet he still chooses to directly disobey God. If you look on a map, if you Google where uh, Nineveh is and where Tarshish is, you know, in pretty much opposite directions and he pays the price. He gets on that boat and goes as far away as he possibly can. He chooses to sin and he's pretty comfortable to do that. He pays the price and gets on the boat. But who knows that sin often costs us more than we think it's going to. Yeah. So there's three things I think we learn about sin here. One is that sin has its consequences, doesn't it? Okay. He chooses to sin. God's not going to allow him to mock him. The sailors already knew that Jonah was running from God before he got busted as the cause of the storm. So he'd obviously been bragging about it. Okay, that's a pretty arrogant place to be before God when you know he's told you to do one thing. Not only are you not doing it, but you're bragging about it. So God sends the storm. Okay, there's, there's consequences to it. And we know that when we sin, there's going to be a consequence. And it's usually bigger than we think it's going to be. We might actually think, I can get away with this. I can do that. It's not going to harm us that much. And it's that lie of the enemy, you know, when he comes to Eve in the garden and says, oh, you'll be right. And it's the same thing we tell ourselves when we choose to sin, but the consequences always come. Secondly, sin is really selfish. Jonah chooses to sin and others get swept up in that, okay? He isn't actually so much scared of the call on his life, but he is prejudiced against the Ninevites, okay? The Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians are long-time rivals, enemies of the Israelites, and they're known for their violence and their atrocities against the people of God. So he is hard-hearted towards them. He does not want them to be warned, and he definitely does not want God to rescue them. So he has justified himself. These people are bad. I'm right. He's sitting in judgment on them and he's choosing to sin. But what happens is that God sends the storm because he's chosen to sin, but he's actually asleep. The sailors are the ones running around above, fearing for their lives, crying out to God, and he doesn't even really know. Then the sailors have to throw their cargo overboard to lighten their load, so they lose their livelihood. The cost for them is actually more than it costs Jonah. Jonah ends up fulfilling his mission. These sailors lose their money. So when we sin, it's the same, okay? As Laura was saying during communion today, if she'd stayed grumpy and self-pitying, it was going to affect her husband and her children. Her mood was going to spread around. And any sin we choose to do is not just unto ourselves or against God. It affects everyone around us. And so we have to be so careful with how we live our lives. Thirdly, sin stupefies, numbs make us a bit stupid. Jonah 1.5 sees Jonah below deck sleeping while the sailors are battling the storm above. Uh, they're crying out to God in fear for their lives. 
Jonah doesn't see the effect of his sin. He is deeply asleep. It takes the captain to wake him up. Get up. Come on. Cry out to your God. And we can be just like this, can't we? You know, we can settle into our attitude, our sin. We can believe it's right. We can feel so correct in what we're thinking and doing. And sometimes it just takes someone to say, hey, can kind of see you're in a bit of a storm there because the consequences are there. Where's God? What's Jesus saying to you? Maybe we should cry out to him today together. So sometimes we need that, don't we? We need that voice of God to, to come in through other people as well. So we can see very clearly that sin is not cool. It has consequences and, and you know ongoing consequences. So the first thing is we should not turn to sin. We should turn to God, run to him, run away from sin. Secondly, we learn from Jonah that when we turn to God, we receive from him. So what is turning to God actually look like first of all we see it's repentance okay repentance comes in this story and it leads to receiving salvation so repentance is acknowledging we've done something wrong turning from it accepting the consequences and and deciding to ask forgiveness of God and in chapter 1 Jonah turns back to God in verse 9 he realigns himself as a worshiper of God so when he's caught out and they say who are you He doesn't start making excuses. He actually says, I'm a Hebrew, I'm a worshipper of God, and God made the sea and the land. So he puts God back in his place as creator. He realigns himself as a worshipper of someone who is mightier than him. And then in verse 12, he owns the punishment. He says, pick me up and throw me into the ocean. Everything will be be better. I know it's my fault that the storm has come. So uh, he's asking for their help to repent and he's, he's suffering the consequences there. So what happens then, once the sea grows calm, he's no longer on board the boat, but every sailor is suddenly in awe of God. And they make sacrifices to him, and they make vows. That's salvation. They're saying, we honour you, Lord. We see your power. We honour you. We're going to be yours. So that's the first way that we turn to God. Secondly, we see Jonah praying. And prayer is probably the easiest way for us all to turn to God, isn't it? And, and what we get when we pray, we get faith rising. We get hope. We get restored relationship. And we get rescue, right? We get a way forward. So this is what we see for Jonah. He prays from inside the fish. And his prayer is so prophetic. It's about the future. He's inside a fish. He's in there for three days. This probably takes him three days to get to this point. Okay, So day three, he decides he's going to pray. And his prayer is all about, I'm going to get out. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to say salvation comes from the Lord. He speaks of God's faithfulness in hearing him, loving him, restoring him. And that's the prayer that he prays in a dark, smelly fish. So if he can pray from the belly of a fish, we can pray amidst whatever's going on, right? I think that's, that's a really positive way to look at that. So after Jonah prays, God commands the fish to vomit him onto dry land. So once he's prayed, the rescue comes. Can you imagine being vomited by a fish? Uncomfortable, smelly, not nice. 
but it's still rescue, isn't it? And God works the same in our lives. Sometimes the way forward when we pray doesn't look as comfortable as we'd like it to, but it's rescue. And on the other side of that rescue, Jonah fulfills what he was destined to do. And it's the same for us. When we pray and turn to God and he says, that's the way forward, take that step. As soon as we start taking those steps, we're stepping into our destiny. We're stepping into growth. We're stepping into purpose. Okay, thirdly, another way of turning to God and receiving from him is letting go of idols and receiving God's love. So in Jonah 2.8, he says, Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love. And the opposite is true. When we set idols aside we are then free to receive God's amazing love for us. Now, most of us don't have little statues in our world that we bow down and worship. We don't have those kind of idols. But we have plenty of other things. Idols as anything that we put before our God, anything that we put our hope in, or anything that we rely on instead of God. And it's so alarmingly easy to do. We all do it. Every single one of us. So I think sometimes when we think about worshipping idols, it seems so foreign to us. But actually, we all do it, and probably daily. If you think about it, if you get a bill come in and you feel there's this lack in your world, you want to worry about that. You want to work harder. You want to put your faith in what you earn and the security of your bank account. And that blocks God's provision. Or maybe you're really lonely and you just want someone to be with you in your world and, and you want that person to love and look up to and, and you end up putting them in a place that only God's supposed to fulfil. And that blocks, when we put human love above God's love, that blocks God's amazing love for us. Maybe we're stressed and instead of coming home from work after a bad day and going, all right, God, I'm just going to pray, I'm going to ask you to take this burden of stress off me. I'm going to ask for your peace to come in. Perhaps instead of that, we go, oh, I'm just going to binge watch a whole series of something on Netflix. I'm just going to chill. I might have a glass of wine. I think I'll eat a whole block of chocolate. That'll make me feel better. I deserve it. I've had such a stressful day. And none of those things are bad. But if we put them first, we block God's peace and power. Nothing changes by Netflix, food, wine, etc. But if we pray first and say, Mighty God, come into my world. I offer you this burden. I offer you my worry. When we do that first, when we put the kingdom of God first, what do we get? All things added unto us. And maybe you're sitting here today and you've never done that. You've never turned to God. You've never prayed to him. But there's something stirring in you now and you're thinking, okay, this sounds good. There's love, there's hope, there's faith, there's salvation, there's rescue in this God. So I'd love to give you an opportunity to do that right now. So let's close our eyes, church. Thank you, Lord. We're just going to take this little moment to turn to God in prayer. God is a God who listens. And we're going to pray together. So I'd love you to pray after me, everyone together. Lord God, I thank you for your love for me. I thank you that you sent Jesus to die for my sins. I turn to you today and repent of the wrong things I have done. 
I set aside all the things I've put before you. I ask you to be my Lord and my Saviour today. I give my life to you and receive your love and your salvation. In Jesus' name. Amen. Just keep your eyes closed in this moment. If you prayed that for the very first time today, I'd love to know who you are. Or as you were praying, if you just felt yourself returning, putting things aside and realigning yourself with where God wants you today, I'd love to know who you are. And so I'd just ask you to pop your hand up quickly so I can see who that might be. Thank you for that hand. Anyone else? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this moment just to realign and say we're yours or to come to you for the first time. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the lady who put her hand up this morning. We thank you for salvation and we ask your blessing on her. And we thank you, Lord, for each of us that you have brought us to that place of rescue and salvation. Thank you, mighty God, in Jesus' name. Amen. After the service, there's a team that, if you have questions about salvation, they will love to help you. So you can always ask those. Don't go home unanswered. Salvation is so good, isn't it? It's just the most beautiful thing. And, and the third point that we see in this story of Jonah is that that's exactly what God has for this world. His heart is to send us from his presence to the world. God wants Jonah to have a heart for Nineveh. He wants us to see through this story that he actually has a heart to save everyone. His character is inherently saviour and he wants to use us to go and save the world. Do you feel like saving the world? Captain America? I don't know. But we all have this, this purpose. We all have this call. We have this mission. And in this story, uh, God provides a few things and I love that word provide for Jonah. He provides a fish a leafy plant, a worm and a hot wind. Now, if any of you have a relative at Christmas that gives dodgy gifts, just think about this list of provisions, okay? And, and it makes, you know, the floral teacup that's really ugly not quite so bad. So the fish is provided to rescue Jonah in a physical sense from drowning, okay? He's in the ocean, the storm's still there. does calm as soon as he gets in the water, but instead of leaving him in the middle of the, the sea there, God provides the fish to rescue him physically. The rest he sends because he wants to show Jonah that even though he's throwing this almighty tantrum, even though he's actually questioning the merciful character of God, that God wants to be patient with Jonah. He wants to change his heart and he's pursuing him and he's protecting him with the plant. And then he sends the worm to kill the plant to teach him something, to make sure that Jonah's spiritual life doesn't die. So the other things are provided to make him grow, to make him change, to align his heart with God's heart. God rescues us, doesn't he? He provides for us. He protects us, but he doesn't do it so that we can build ourselves a little shelter and lie around all day harbouring bad attitudes. He does it so that we can receive from him, grow in strength and go out and bless others, share our faith with our friends, rescue our friends and beloved family that don't know him. That's why he does those things for us. 
And that's what God has for us today. He wants to grow each and every one of us. He wants to shift us from where we are to somewhere else. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our upcoming events and discover more about us, visit c3quinsbeach.com.au. Until next time, have a blessed week.